the, the opinions about who Jesus was are as diverse today as they were when Jesus lived. Who, who is this man, Jesus? What did he do? What, what is the point of all of this? Jesus asked that question. He asked it to his earliest followers, and, and it's a question that in reality he asks of us as well. When you look at the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 9, we find Jesus asking this question of us. Who do you say I am? He asks the question not for his benefit. He's fully aware of who he is. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he had come to do. He asked the question for the benefit of his followers. We read about it in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Just a few short verses this morning. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This isn't the first time in Luke's Gospel that Luke has focused our attention on the question of who Jesus is, the, the identity of Jesus. Repeatedly throughout the Gospel of Luke, we've seen this question presented to us. Who, who is this Jesus? Who is this man? What is his identity? What is he here for? And this passage in Luke chapter 9 is central to Jesus' disclosure of his own identity to his disciples and to us even to this very day. Lots of, lots of answers have been given to the question of who Jesus was, but there's only one right answer. Who, who is Jesus? That's the question that Luke wants to get at us because it's the dividing question. Only two types of people in this world those who have the right answer to this question, and those who don't. That's it. We're all divided among those lines. Nothing else really matters. Of, of all of the lists that people make, there are only two kinds of people in the world, math people and English people, cat people and dog people. None of that matters when you get right down to this question of who is Jesus. It's the dividing line throughout all of eternity, throughout all of history, throughout the souls of men and women. We're divided between who has the right answer to this question and who has the wrong answer to this question. So this question is vitally important. And I want you to see this, this encounter and everything that goes into this discovery of who Jesus is. We begin this morning with the prayer. Now it happened that as he was praying alone... The disciples were there with him. Again, we find Jesus in prayer. 
In the Gospel of Luke, seven times Luke shows us Jesus praying by himself or with this close group of people, his apostles. It's an example to us indeed of how important prayer is. If it was essential and necessary for Jesus to be praying, how much more essential and necessary is it for us to be praying? But I believe there's more than just this that we find in Luke's Gospel. When we find Jesus in these moments of prayer, we see an importance of what is about to happen after the prayer is completed. We see there is something big that is getting ready to happen, and Jesus pauses to pray before that happens. For instance, we find Jesus praying before he was tempted by Satan. Before Jesus called his apostles, we find him praying. Before the fish and the loaves were multiplied and 5,000 men were fed, we find Jesus praying. On the mountain of transfiguration, before the deity of Christ on the inside burst forth on the outside, we find Jesus praying. In the garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, we find Jesus praying. Luke draws our attention to the praying Jesus when something really important is about to happen. It is Luke's way of saying, you should be sitting on the edge of your seats. This is important. Jesus is praying. Don't miss what's about to take place. Something of eternal significance is about to be shared here. So listen carefully. Luke's way of saying, are you ready to hear the next stage in this? Jesus has paused to pray because something really important is about to happen. Does that tell us anything about how important prayer should be in our lives? What, what role does prayer play in your life? I mean, if we were to be honest today and we were to hand out pieces of paper and I was to say to you, I want you to write down one word description of your prayer life. What would you write down this morning? Engaging, energetic, exciting, lackluster, boring, non-existent. What would you use to describe your own prayer life? Do you pray? Is prayer important? To you and in your life. Notice I don't ask, when do you pray? Where do you pray? For how long do you pray? Just simply, do you pray? Are you conversing with God about the things of your life? Especially as we see Jesus on these important events, going to the Father in prayer once again. Prayer shows a dependence that we have upon God. Prayerlessness shows an independence from God. What does your prayer life say about your belief in God and His power? and His ability, and His love, and His presence within your life. There's the prayer, but then the prayer leads very quickly to the profession. After this time of prayer, He gathers there with these disciples, the, 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 the earliest followers, and He asks them the question, Who do the crowds say that I am? Jesus is seeing if they have their finger on the pulse of the culture in which they minister. What have you been hearing? 
Who do, who do the crowds say that I am? And they respond very quickly, well, John the Baptist. And this was a huge compliment. This, this was not denigrating to Jesus. It, it didn't reach the full potential, obviously, but this was a huge compliment to Jesus. The Jews of that time thought a lot about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who was not to, uh, afraid to go into the face of that half-Gentile philandering Herod who was living in incestuous relationships and say to him, you are out of step with God and God's Word. He wasn't afraid to confront the powerful of his day with the truth of God's Word. This isn't a statement of disrespect for Jesus. They're giving Jesus a compliment. We don't understand exactly who he is or all that he's doing, but, but we would compare him to a John the Baptist. We respect John the Baptist because he was willing to die for his convictions, and indeed, he did die for his convictions. But that wasn't the right answer. But others say, uh, Elijah another great compliment. The Jewish people by this time for, for hundreds of years had been expecting one like Elijah to return before God came and set up his kingdom in this world. The prophet Malachi in the Old Testament talked about the coming of the Messiah would, would be led up, would be tied up with a forerunner, one like Elijah. And so when they say he's like Elijah, we think Jesus might be the forerunner of the coming of the Lord. This was a tremendous compliment. Even in the ignorance of who Jesus really was, they were paying such a compliment to Him. You are the one who's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. They weren't trying to disrespect Him. They just weren't saying enough about Him. Well, maybe then Jesus is one of the prophets of old. The mighty prophet. Again, this is a compliment for Jesus. What higher thing could you possibly say than to say that Jesus stands in the line of Moses, of Isaiah, of Jeremiah? It's a compliment that they give as to their understanding of who Jesus was. They said all sorts of great things about Jesus. He was held in high regard and esteemed by the people. John the Baptist, Elijah, prophet, all of them complimentary terms, but just not quite getting it right. It's interesting to me that at least they had an air of the supernatural about them. When you think of John the Baptist, when you think of Elijah, when you think of the prophets of old, you know what you notice about all of those? They're dead. John the Baptist put to death by Herod himself. Elijah is gone. The prophets of old are gone. At least they had a grasp on the supernatural aspect of the ministry of Jesus that maybe this one is one of them come back from the dead to live again and to point us to God. Nowadays we don't even get that, do we? someone doesn't know who Jesus is or acknowledge who Jesus is, then we're going to get something like, well, he was a, he was a good teacher. I, I like his teachings on justice and love. He was a good man. He was a moral man. Or maybe they just say, well, he didn't really even exist at all. 
at least hear the disciples say the crowds around him after seeing everything that he has done had to acknowledge there's something different about him. I may not fully understand it, but there's something different about him. And then out of nowhere, Jesus redirects the question. Verse 20, but who do you say that I am? If we could southernize it this morning, it would read like this, but who do y'all say I am? We've talked about the crowds out there, but now gathered together in this group, who do you all say that I am? It doesn't really matter what others may say. I want to know what you think about me. And friends, this is huge. This is massive. Jesus knows that what you think about him makes all the difference in the world. What you believe about him makes all the difference in the world. What you acknowledge him to be makes all the difference in the world. This is a question not just significant for their ministry. It's a question significant for their very salvation. And for yours and mine as well this morning, who do you say I am? And of course, as is always the case, Peter jumps into speaking mode. You are the Christ of God. You've, you've heard me say often, I'm so thankful that we have Peter here in the Scripture because it reminds me that God uses blundering, blabbering, foolhardy people at times. But this time, Peter gets it right. He speaks before anyone else. Usually when he does that, he's miles off track, but not this time. You are the Christ of God, the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah of God. You are the Messiah sent by God that we've been looking for since all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when you promised that there was one who would come. Luke, masterful literary work inspired by the Spirit of God, he's been setting us up all along to think about this very question from early on in his biography of Jesus. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the angels come to the shepherds to announce the birth of the Messiah and to tell those shepherds who the child in the manger at Bethlehem is. And they say to those shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Later on in that very same chapter, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple for the circumcision and they meet Simeon. Simeon, this godly man who had prayed, Lord, please don't let me die until I see Messiah. Simeon, we read, had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth. He takes the scroll of Isaiah. He reads from it and he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. That's what the word Christ means. The same chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 41, Even the demons acknowledge who Jesus is. 
Demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. Luke has been reminding us all the way through of who Jesus is, leading us to this very moment in Luke chapter 9. So what is it that is happening here in this chapter? For the very first time, it is becoming clear to these apostles. Jesus has been slowly carefully, meticulously teaching them who he is, and finally it dawns on them. For the first time, they have confessed aloud who it is that they are following, who it is who's their master. You remember even back earlier when Jesus has calmed the storm. We read there that after the storm the disciples gather together and they say, who then is this? Even the winds and the water obey him. Who is this? Later, Herod Antipas, for the feeding of the 5,000 recounted in Luke's gospel, Herod asks the question, who is this about whom I hear such things? And now the question is, answered he's the Christ the Messiah the Redeemer the promised one the Savior and friends that confession is the heart of Christianity to own Jesus as Messiah and Lord is at the very heart of Christianity that's why Jesus is zeroing in on this very question and there are all sorts of answers that are given well, I, I, I admire Jesus. He promoted justice and righteousness. I, I admire Jesus. He taught us how to love. I admire Jesus. He's one of the greatest men ever to live. I admire Jesus. He's a great moral prophet. Yes, but is there anything else? Like, like the apostles, we are surrounded by all sorts of answers to that question. And Jesus wants us to understand that our answer to that question means everything. The entirety of your life hangs on your answer to this question. It's what it was like when Jesus asked the apostles, who people say he was. Their, their answers meant to be compliments, but they don't live up quite to who he is. Jesus affirms what Peter answers, I am the Messiah. The question becomes, do you really believe that? Friends, let's be honest this morning. Some of you have, been, have grown up where the Bible's been taught. You've heard preachers. You've heard Sunday school teachers. You've heard VBS teachers tell you since you were knee-high to a grasshopper that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Savior. And some of you might even say that with your lips. But do you really believe it to be the case? Because, friends, if you really believe it to be the case, it will change your life. How do you know if you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? A couple of questions to ask you this morning. First of all, 
Is He the hinge on which your whole life turns? You see, there are moments that have happened in each of our lives that have changed our lives. Perhaps choosing which college to attend. Choosing our spouse, a career, a location in which we will live. But can we say today that our encounter with and our relationship with Jesus Christ is the decisive thing in our life? If we can answer with a yes, then it just may be that we truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Second question. Is Jesus and what he offers what we desire more than anything else? If we say that there are things that we desire more than Jesus, then we do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God. You can say with your lips that Jesus is the Messiah and your life and your choices can contradict that. And so Jesus is pressing this question on his apostles and I want to press this question on us this morning Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus to be? Do you accept His claims? Do you accept Him and therefore bow before Him in acknowledgement that He alone is the way into eternal fellowship with God? That's the issue before us today. Who is Jesus? The question isn't answered. Who is Jesus to others? Who is Jesus to mom? Who is Jesus to dad, to grandma and grandpa, to fellow students, to co-workers, to society at large? No, the question is, who is Jesus to you? Is it your profession today that He is the Christ of God? Does your life show that to be true? in the way you live it. There's the prayer, there's the profession, and then finally there is the passion. Jesus Jesus says something right on the hills. Peter confesses, you are the Christ of God. Jesus affirms that. We, We read about the parallel encounter in Matthew's gospel, and Jesus says, you're exactly right. You are exactly right. In fact, he says, I'm going to build my church upon this confession. Here Jesus says something that absolutely boggles the mind. Verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. As soon as Peter makes the confession, Jesus starts to talk about his passion. I can assure you, there were all sorts of people here in the first century, before and after Jesus, who went around claiming to be the Messiah. History records them for us. But I can likewise promise you that there was not a single one of them who told their disciples to not tell anyone that they were Messiah. Only Jesus did this. Why? 
Why would Jesus possibly tell his disciples, don't tell anyone this? Because there's something that must take place first. We see, Jesus did this because the people didn't yet understand who the Messiah was, what he was here to do. They were expecting the Messiah to be a political leader, a a military liberator, if you will. They thought Messiah was going to come and get rid of the filthy Gentiles, get rid of those filthy, immoral, oppressive Romans. Let's get the Romans out of here. But Jesus knew that the Romans weren't the problem. Jesus knew that we're all the problem. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, Republican and Democrat, we're all the problem. The line between good and evil doesn't run between us and them. The line between good and evil runs down the center of every human heart because we are in need of a Savior. We are in need of a Redeemer. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, but I've come to suffer, to be rejected, to die, to suffer in your place, to be rejected. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to die because that's my Father's plan to save you. I'm going to experience the suffering that you should have experienced. I'm going to be rejected like you should have been rejected. I'm going to die like you should die. And I'm going to do that so that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. They won't just be pardoned and forgiven, but they will be welcomed back into the fold of God. That's what this is all about. You see why Luke was telling us that Jesus was praying before this? Because this is important. This is life-changing. Who do you say Jesus is? Friends, you might consider many important questions in your life but you will never consider one more important than Jesus looking you in the eye and saying, who do you say I am? What's your answer to him? What's your answer to Jesus asking you this morning, who do you say I am? Unbeliever, what's your answer? Whatever it is, I pray it won't remain your answer, but that you will acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior of mankind. That you will acknowledge that even this day, even this moment, and you will trust in Jesus personally. I speak to unbelievers this morning. And I issue a clarion call to you today that you must do business with Jesus. 
of everything you may want to do in regards to Jesus, ignoring Him is not an option. You must do business with Jesus. Your life and your eternal destiny rests on this. Who do you say Jesus is? So believer, can I speak to us for just a moment as well? Jesus gives this command in the final verses of our text, strictly charging and commanding them to tell this to no one. He gives that command to a specific time, to a specific group, for specific circumstances. But that command has now been lifted. Why? Because Jesus has done everything he said he needed to do in verse 22. He suffered. He was rejected. He was killed. And on the third day, he was raised again that your sin might be removed from you. The word to tell this to no one has been lifted. Instead, now, Jesus gives us the command to go, to tell. The great commission of Matthew 28, go and make disciples, go and proclaim the gospel, go and tell people the good news. That is the command in which we live today. Church, I'm so afraid that we continue to live in Luke 9, 21 rather than Matthew 28. We say that we believe those without Christ spend an eternity in hell. But do we really believe that? say we live in obedience to Jesus' words in Luke 9.21 while neglecting to live in obedience to Jesus' words in Matthew 28. Who will you today commit to telling about Jesus Christ and what he's done? Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. And now he has told us to go and tell the good news. That for those who are oppressed, there's liberty. For those who are in bondage to their sin, there is freedom. To those living under the weight and the burden and the guilt of sinfulness, there is forgiveness. And there is a Savior. Who do you say I am? Father, this morning, 
we cannot escape the question of your word. We place ourselves in that group to whom Jesus spoke, and we realize today that we must answer that question, who do we say Jesus is? Father, I pray today, I pray there would not be a soul that would leave this place without an understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Father, I pray for us as your children that we would be faithful, that we would be intentional, and that we would be passionate about sharing the work of Christ with those around us. To see what Christ has done and to know who He is compels us to point others to Him. For us as believers, strengthen us for that task, please, Father. For those who are not believers in our midst, would you please open their hearts, open their eyes to see who Jesus is this day. We ask it in his name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning as we stand. We sing together, and if there's a response that you need to make, maybe you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, maybe you'd like to know more about what it means to unite with this church family, we invite you to come. We'll begin that conversation with you this day. You come as the Lord.